colourful events of this festival has to be this crew parade. As you can see, it's a riot of fun and colour. The Tall Ships Race 2011 took place in Waterford. And everybody's loving it. Waterford is absolutely brilliant here. Amazing. What a buzz. Brilliant. But with one important omission, there was no Irish tall ship. As you know, the Irish sail training vessel, the Asgard II, sank off the coast of France in 2008. Morning Ireland, it's a quarter past seven and the news was just breaking as we came on air about a quarter of an hour ago. The news that the sail training vessel, the Asgard, is sinking in the Bay of Biscay off the coast of France. One of those who had sailed on the Asgard as a trainee in the past was DCU radio student Stephen Long. So, when it came to deciding what to make his final year documentary about, he opted to tell the story of the sinking of the Asgard II. Nearly 10,000 people sailed on the Asgard II in 27 years. Some were in college, some had full-time jobs. It's a really accomplished piece of work and you can hear the full version on the Dock on One website. In the meantime, here's an edited extract. It features trainees Oshin Cahill and Geraldine O'Brien. The night was overcast. It, the moon would come out and then it would go into the clouds, come out, go into the clouds. It wasn't particularly choppy. We had been through other nights where, you know, the whole everyone would be up on deck, just sick. But this night was calm enough, in fact, extraordinarily calm in comparison to the other nights. I was due to go and watch at 4am. I woke up at some stage prior to that and realised there was water beside my bunk. I got up out of bed. I went up and I told my wife to get ready, to get her glasses, she wears glasses, to be prepared to get out of bed because there was a problem with the ship. I told her I'd be back to her. I ran up to the bridge house, stuck my head in and called the people who were on watch at the time and told them to come back down because we had a major issue. time I came back down, the water level beside my bunk had gone from being one or two centimetres to being about a foot and a half and all the floorboards had blown. At that stage, the other members of the crew came in and the alarm was set off. The next thing I could hear, wah, 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 and it was the alarm and we got everybody out of the, the sleeping accommodation. Mm-hmm. So at that stage, everybody was called once the alarm went off. We all ended off on deck with our life jackets. And I remember looking over at someone going, the alarm's going. The alarm, and I, for some reason, this sounds like mad, but I thought, gee, I'm not, I left the kettle on. I left the kettle on. And I went over to have a look down into the kitchen to see if there's any smoke. I didn't think of water. I didn't think of... Uh, of anything else, I, I was immediately thinking I'd done something wrong because we're so close and not for a second did I think that there was anything else. And the next thing, I suppose, there was sort of people running, I could hear up on deck, up on deck. When I came onto deck, like everybody else, the first job for people was to get life jackets initially to start putting them on. There was an emergency lift pump on the main deck and that was being put together. And another temporary crew member, in other words, person on holidays, and myself helped clip that together while other people were putting on actually survival suits and the life jackets. That motor was started, but we couldn't get the pump to prime. So, in fact, two of us went back down into the flooded accommodation, got a bin, 
fill the full of water from the flooded accommodation and try to prime the pump, but the pump wouldn't prime for whatever reason. And what was the level of water at that stage when you went back down into the mess area? It was about two feet at that stage. It was like an out-of-body experience, was just looking around at everyone else, thinking, Why, what am I supposed to do? Because I usually had to be instructed to do things because it wasn't instinctive to me. I didn't know the ropes, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I was waiting, looking at people's faces, you know, show me, show me, show me. So we started to let down the sails. So it was heave, heave, heave. And for some bad reason, when we let them down, I started to tie up the ropes, as, you know, kind of so they'd be nice and neat. Like the ship is sinking <laughs> and I'm tying up the ropes. That, and I think Finn kind of might have come out and said, no, you can just leave it, it's OK. But it was just one of those, oh, yeah, right, OK. The captain at that stage made a call that the pump was to be abandoned. Everybody was to go to their primary stations in their survival suits. I was put on the helm at that stage while Colm was looking after the mayday. Initially, it was uh, Pam Pam, which is an emergency call for women in trouble. So the next thing I think, um, I, I heard them on the radio and I heard the, kind of a, I think it was a pan pan signal. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, this is serious. He changed that then to being a mayday, which means we are actually in dire straits. And at the same time, there was other crew members organising personnel, being the people on the ship and the life rafts. The next thing, Captain said, survival suits, get their survival suits on, get their survival suits on. So we started to put their survival suits on and some of us had problems because we forgot to take our shoes off. You know, you're thinking, oh God, how stupid is that? So you're trying to put on a survival suit with, I think that's how I ended up with the survival suit, with one runner on and one runner off. You know, it took ages just to put the thing on. And I suppose it began to dawn, you know, we need to be rescued here. Somebody needs to come. The ship was waddling at that stage. You could feel it sort of waddling away and others was rocking from side to side with each of the waves. It wasn't long before a helicopter arrived out, circling over the ship, and another ship within the area came close to our location. I suppose I was aware that there was a, a big tanker to the right of us. I was thinking, that's grand. If anything happens, there's a tanker there. I mean, sure, it would have taken the tanker. I mean, I don't know how long to come over or whatever. But in your head, you're kind of thinking, that's grand. And the other thing then to the left was you could see a lighthouse. So we weren't that far off land, really. So that, again, was another reassuring thing. People did extraordinary things. Two of the watches got onto the lifeboats and then it was my watch's turn to get on. But we were all waiting for each other, like no one was going to get on. There was no scrambling to get on the life raft first. And one of the lads is particularly tall and he was having some difficulty putting on the survival suit. But we all waited with him, like we, you know, two of us had to haul him up and someone had to haul him down. He was bet into the suit eventually. When we were all in, we probably stayed connected to the side of the ship for probably 10 minutes. Mm. And at some stage, the rope holding us to the side was cut, physically cut, and the tree life raft was still now connected together. Mm. So we moved out from the ship and actually drifted around the stern, the rear of the ship, and the stern of the ship had actually risen quite substantially. Mm -hmm. 
And at that stage, the way the life raft was, because it was covered, it was adorned, my view swung from it and I didn't see the ship again. Next thing was in my life raft. Basically, the bottom came away from it. What happened was one particularly brave young man who wasn't in a survival suit because he'd been trying to help the engineer and he was extraordinary. I mean, I, I don't know if beyond to be president or something, but I can remember thinking whatever it is, he's become, there's a strength of character in him that you can see now. And that night he was trying to help the engineer and he got into the life raft and he didn't have a survival suit on, but he had his wellies on. And he took off one of his wellies. And as a joke, he started to say, don't worry, there's water here, sure, we'll use the wellie. And started to scoop out the water with the wellie, which is all funny until we realised that actually it was more than just one or two inches. Some of us were actually sitting in water up to maybe just our, our thighs and then up to our waist. So to cut a long story short, the seam of the life raft came away from the sides. Yeah, so the cook shouted to the captain that this is what was happening so another life raft was launched so we had to hoosh ourselves into the new life raft the life both came out and took us off the life rafts that was the first thing. And that was probably the hardest part, to actually transfer from the life rafts to the life boats. It was actually probably the, the scariest part, physically getting people out mm-hmm. from one to the next. As we were on the lifeboat, we all stood outside then for a few minutes. We walked outside the cabin then, all of us in that boat, and we just watched the Asgard and just watched her kind of sinking it seemed very slowly at the time into the sea and that was that was a sad sad sort of you kind of thought Jesus like you were happy that you were safe but you kind of felt responsible we've left her behind you know we didn't we saved ourselves we didn't save her The sinking of the sail training ship Asgard 2 in 2008, as told by trainees Geraldine O'Brien and Oshin Cahill. That's an edited extract from a student documentary by Stephen Long from DCU. You can hear the full work on the Documentary on One website on rte.ie. Click on the tab marked Curious Ear.